Hello and welcome to another sassy episode of Lee to Be. I'm so excited for this episode because I have my former colleague on, Sam Hitch. Sam has spent the past five years working specifically with RevOps and GTM teams at companies ranging in maturity from seed rounds to Series C. She is currently an account executive at Rattle, an automation platform that helps revenue teams follow processes to win faster, win more, and win together. Welcome to a new episode of Lee to Be. Hey, Sam. Hey, Lee. I'm so excited to catch up. It's so good to see you again. I haven't seen you since we worked at the same company. Ah, those were the days. Remember that? Remember when we worked at the same company before we were both laid off at different times? Yeah, yeah. I do remember that. Interesting times. We were talking about working together on, like, you know, some weird, like, content and sketches that had to do with, like, your blue hair. Um, yeah, and you, you didn't like it. You didn't like the idea, and then I posted I it, and then it got, it got no attention, and I'm like, Sam was right. I did not like it. I didn't understand what you were trying to do, and then we got laid Nobody off, else so did. we didn't really, yeah. like, have time to, you know, figure it out and hash it out, but I, I thought it could have been great. Like, what I was trying to do is, like, feeling blue. Never mind. It's stupid. I'm not even going <laughs> to... I'm not going to try it again, but yeah, no, it's so good to, to see you. I, I recently posted a, a meme. Ugh, I hate saying meme like that, but I recently posted on, on LinkedIn, um, the picture of Sophia Turner or Sophie Turner holding hands with, um, Taylor Swift context. It's, it's the meme going around. If you don't know, first of all, why don't you know, but Joe Jonas obviously dated Taylor Swift years ago. Um, she wrote some songs about him, obviously. Sophie Turner from Game of Thrones just divorced, or Joe divorced her, and now stuff's happening. But anyway, I, I posted that with the caption of that picture of them holding hands when people from the same company hang out. And I'm like, that's what this podcast is going to be. Sam, it's so good to see you again. I just want to dive right into things because I know you have a lot to say before we go, before we go too far into things, AE account executive for my non-sales people, like, can you explain what that is? Now, there's there's a lot of different aspects, but really, my responsibility is bringing on new business and good business. And so, when we think about like the the B two B sales motion, recurring revenue is obviously a big piece of the puzzle. Uh, I remember back when I started in sales, you know, you could like sell something and then never talk to them again and it didn't it didn't bother you. Well, no company wants that. No one wants to be sold that way. So really my job is one to build champions and build a business case to get people to come into a contract and partner with my company and, and utilize their product. And so one, we want to make sure that there is a pain that we're solving. If not, Let's part ways. Let's not go through the motions. Let's not talk. I feel like in, in B2B SaaS, like land and expand motions are really big today. And so how can we, it's the hardest to get in the door with a contract. You have a lot of work to do. And then once you're in the door, it's about growing and expanding. And so while my initial focus is getting them in the door, the rest of my responsibilities are making sure that I'm working with our accountant team, customer success, and 
everyone else involved, product, all of these different people to ensure that whatever metrics that we set out to prove of, you know, my product is going to help them do X, Y, and Z, that we are actually doing that because we want to grow the account from there. In an age where people do not want to talk to salespeople. God, I hate talking to salespeople. Right. Who who wants to talk to a salesperson ever? But in an age where people don't want to just talk to sales, they're more skeptical than ever. Our attention spans are, I don't even remember what I'm asking because my attention span's so low, but um, our attention spans are so low. How do you open the door? That seems so hard, especially in a time when people don't even want to entertain the idea of new software. Honestly, like it's, it's about proving value. And so Here's like a conversation that uh, I've had recently with my newest BDR when when she first branched into sales. Like she was booking meetings because people thought she was delightful and she is delightful. And they'd be like, yeah, let's set time for next Thursday at whatever time. And then they wouldn't show. And so I would ask, okay, why did they book this meeting in the first place? Because at the time, she was just sending a message of like, hey, have you heard about Rattle? And like, you know, she's being friendly and whatever. And they're like, yeah, let's talk next week. And I'm like, you've not given them a reason. They have no reason to talk to us. People aren't just sitting around lounging being like, man, I hope someone cold calls me right now just so I can take a meeting. Like if they are going to take a meeting, they need to have a reason why. And you have to give them a reason why. And so meetings are are nothing. What I love about sort of like the modern world that we're selling in is you can push back, especially pushing back on like revenue teams because they get it. If, you know, we're in a conversation and they're like, oh, I do that all today. Blah, 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 it's fine. I can be like, okay, so why did you keep this meeting? Why are we even talking? And if you don't have a reason for that either side, then yeah, why, why have the conversation? My favorite is when the person is like, oh, I took the meeting because I'm also in sales and I know how hard it is. So I wanted mm. to be nice. I'm like, you're not being nice. You're just wasting my time. Not that and I was your time. sales, but. And your time. Like, look, my time's valuable. Your time is valuable. I don't want to take a meeting if someone has that reason. Now, are you a, a fan, though, of asking? Because people have different takes on this. Like when you join a demo or a call, um, lots of times people will say, so why did you take the call today with me? Are you a fan of saying that or or not? I am. Are you not? So I personally will answer that. Um, I've heard people, I don't know, I've heard ramblings on LinkedIn of people just saying, like, it's obvious why I took the call. Ah. I think to, to the point, though, to the AEs, the sales, and the marketing is like, no, it's not as obvious because we actually have multiple products or functions or whatever. Um, we're not mind readers. Yeah. So here is my strong belief with this. Yes, we are not mind readers. However, the average person, the average AE might come to a call and be like, oh, why did you take the call? And they have no, they've done no research. But I think where you can bridge the gap is coming into that conversation, having a perspective of like, hey, look. I, I've done my research. I think that you're talking, like, I, I know that you just moved into this role, just got promoted. I see that the company is trying to focus a little more on X, Y, and Z. And so I've got some theories around how you might be interested in this value prop or this value prop of our product. But you tell me, why did you take this call today? 
what are you hoping to get out of it? And and that way, it's less about oh, going through the motions. Because look, at, at, at this point, especially if it's coming inbound, they're probably talking to other teams. And they've probably had to say those same things over and over again of why you took the meeting. But this evens out the, the playing field a little bit of like, look, you know, we're not just... I want to have a conversation here, you know? I think everyone, too, has just become so jaded. I mean, I've always been jaded because I'm a jaded New Yorker. Sure, right. Yeah, right, of course. Um, But people are just jaded now. They're like, everyone's selling to me. They they don't have patience. Um, I have to say, though, when I am taking a demo with somebody, not that I am now because I'm unemployed and nobody's... Actually, many people are still advertising to me and sending me in-mails about how my clients can grow, even though I don't work anywhere. Yeah, I, I Someone respond- called me to get to you. Yeah, I, I, that was so confused. I hit you up on, on LinkedIn. They're like, uh, can I speak with Lee? I'm like, uh, this is my cell phone. I don't work at the same company Lee does anymore, and he doesn't work there either. So. First of all, even if they were calling, they could not speak to Lee because Lee doesn't answer the <laughs> oh, phone. Oh, God, anymore. I would never have put them through. So. Um, I don't answer the phone if I don't know the number. Um, or even if I do know the number sometimes. It depends who's calling. Also, that's um, a whole sh- different strong perspective that I have is like, look, yeah, hit the phones. I've seen like uh, people in sales that are like, oh, only the phones, only the phones. And like, for instance, if I try to like download like an ebook or something, I'll, I'll put in my email because I want the content, but I'll put in my number is 555-555-555. Oh, that's um, fine too. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Same number. Yeah. I've seen people go out of their way to try and hunt down a number at that stage of things. And I'm like, why? If if I put that in something and someone called me and hunted down my number instead of going the route that I suggested for them, I would never talk to them ever, ever, ever. First of all, no one should ever get a call for downloading an ebook. Mm. That's the most top of funnel action ever. No one should get it unless the ebook is like, I'm thinking about becoming your customer and I need you to call me. Like, that's the only time somebody should have a phone call. So that's interesting because that's actually, by the way, like a really great lead source for us. I feel like if they put their number in, I mean, my our BDRs call. So like we get, we get rattled. Oh, so you and disagree. Like you're saying, let, this is hot news. So you're saying your BDRs yeah. have great success calling ebook people. They really do. Yeah. And look, it's not everyone. Uh, and that's the only action they've taken? That's. That's the only action that they've taken. We've got a like RevOps report, for instance, just like the state of RevOps and people download it. We get a rattle alert in Slack saying, hey, this person just downloaded it. Someone at this company just downloaded it. Reach out to them. And we put them into a sequence. And it's either a really quick like yes or it goes nowhere. But honestly, you would be surprised the conversion rates on if they do provide their number and reps are calling them. and, and so wait, your of, like, team leaves it as optional? Your team leaves it as optional then? Mm, I don't know. I don't know if they have it as optional. They might require a number, but not everyone knows to put 555, 555, our number, our number. Yes, so, of course. Um, but yeah, the conversion rates are actually kind of surprising. That's to say everyone wants to interact with sales and have a different buying experience than everyone else. You know, like I don't buy the same way other people buy. Like if I if I go somewhere and like the gas station's like ah oh, pump broken go inside to like talk to the I, I'm gonna go to a different gas station yeah of course like I'm not I'm not gonna <laughs> mine's app based and I save money on it too mm, I do have to pump my own gas but like it's app based 
Yeah, you're not in New Jersey. New Jersey, I think, is the only state left. That's required there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's, I would never live in New Jersey for that reason. I don't want to have to interact with people when I don't have to. God. It's, it's nice, though, in the winter, though. You don't have to get out of the car. Mm-hmm. Mm, I'd rather be cold than interact with people. Sometimes. Than in New Jersey. Yeah. yeah it, oh, yeah. That was good. I like that. <laughs> so... One of one of the things you're super passionate about because you've worked with different teams, you you have all these different perspectives. A big big problem with go to market is that we just don't get along. Mm-hmm. And I say we meaning there's the RevOps team, there's the sales team, maybe in the sales team there's the AEs, the SDRs, then there's the marketing team. Why don't we get along? What's going on? I I First of all, so we got many, along great, by the way. We, got I, along I, we, great. we didn't have this problem. Like we loved each other wherever we were. Here here's the thing. I think the key to this is the RevOps role and that persona and being able to communicate between those. And so sales needs a what's in it for me. And so I'll I'll give you one example. Opportunity contact roles. So, you know. Let's say that you downloaded an ebook and it turned into this opportunity, and suddenly you're progressing it along, and more and more people get involved. And maybe timing just isn't right. There's a need, there's an interest, there's a pain, but like timing isn't right. You close lost that opportunity. As a rep, as an AE, I know I'm required, oh, you know, you have to have an, a contact on this opportunity. In thinking about like opportunity contact roles, what I did was like push back on RevOps of like, help me understand why I need to tag all of the contacts. Like, I don't get it. It's just a field. It's an error that I get. I I know who's involved. In fact, honestly, they're on the account. Other people can go in and they can look it up and they can see people that we've had conversations with, you know, if you've got any sort of basis of like data entry. And I just didn't get it. And so... Uh, our RevOps person at the time, Alex Greer, shout out Alex, great person, um, helped me see what was in it for me. So give, take that exact situation we just talked about. Ebook comes in, opportunity starts, people get involved, people get involved, but timing's off, you close loss it. Say that main contact, that one person that you had tied to the opportunity leaves the company. But, you know, other people that you are engaging with, you re-engage with them a few months later, you open up a new opportunity. Would you consider that marketing sourced? I would. It's what got the conversation started in the beginning. There's always like this, ugh, marketing, you know, we never get any leads, blah, blah. Marketing is not like a hot lead. We're going to turn it into something. It's like a long-term nurture, 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 build value. And I think that like, that example is a great example of like how marketing benefits revenue. But yeah. if you don't have that, you can't tie it to what marketing did. And so one, how does marketing know what to double down on? I want them to double down on anything that drives that, right? Sorry, I get very passionate about this. Well, so I mean, <laughs> I, I, I'm as passionate as they come about UTM tracking, conversion tracking, attribution. I think what we're really hitting on is that it becomes so much about who gets credit that the 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 purpose of working as a as a team becomes almost diminished because mm. 
marketing literally needs to justify every dollar sometimes, even though it takes forever because the people paying for marketing, you know, might not want that, but sales the same way. And a salesperson who is just hitting an account for a long period of time should also get that credit. So again, we're talking about credit here, but I, you know, you don't think so? You don't think, when should a salesperson get commission or credit? I guess I should ask. They, They get commission. Who gives a damn about credit? Like, well, that's I, the thing. Yeah. I don't give a damn about credit. Should I not swear? I don't give a darn. Oh, this is marked Jay as Navid. this is marked as explicit. <laughs> it's okay. Um, I curse all the time. If a if a t, if an AE is produced, like, look, I've got standards of how much pipeline I have to source myself, right? Like, there there are standards. If I'm over plan, then. Our CRO doesn't give a damn where that, like, he's not going to buckle down on like, oh, Sam, you're not prospecting. It's all about hitting revenue, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't care where the revenue is coming from personally, because I know I'm going to get credit. Like, I want to enable like my BDR to get a meeting over me getting a meeting because that's how she gets compensated. I want to enable marketing to get credit <laughs> where it's due because that's how they can comp- get compensated. And like, though. They get compensated that way because it shows them what's effective, where to double down. Unless you've got a crazy commission plan of like, you know, you get a certain percent more if it's self-sourced, which look, I sold commission software for uh, a little bit and I've seen some pretty gnarly plans and I've never seen anything that includes that. Like who cares? Like AEs shouldn't care. AEs in particular shouldn't care who gets credit for sourcing the deal. I think with with marketing and speaking from my experience, both in the startup world and even more so from the agency, like you have to, they see marketing as a cost. Many people, it takes a long time, and if you don't see money back from that right away, or you can't you can't see that as something tangible that you understand, people get skeptical. For example, SEO, uh, uh, blogging, for example, increasing your rankings, that's something that will increase your inbounds, your revenue at some point. But if you're judging the marketing team based off one month performance or, or something on that, you, you're setting them up for, for failure the same way as you're setting the, the marketing team up for failure if nobody nobody knows about this product and the only only metric is is, is meetings so yeah. to me that's where sales and marketing come together where sales and marketing to me what's very important rev ops i should say to me what's always very important is have the mutually defined definitions of leads mqls lead scoring speaking the same language and not credit but attribution so yes we want to know that hey marketing did something helpful here whether they came from organic search or or paid and it's never about finding the the one specific blog or keyword but it's about that campaign or topic cluster or initiative yeah and i think that there can also be some mutual ground there so like you know when i when i look up revops related things because you know i'm it's the persona i'm selling to i'm seeing what's going on in the space I want to see something with Rattle come up first, for instance. And, of course, marketing wants that as well. I'm but very good that, at that, by the way. If anyone's listening right now that needs to hire, 
Google RevOps Salary Guide, SFDC Hygiene. You'll see a company come up. If you click that that blog post, my name and, and mugshot will be there. I think Rattle now comes up, by the way. Good, okay. Um, <laughs> but that whatever comes up, that should be an asset that I can also use as a seller to sell in between events. Like, you know, you can't just have an ebook or a guide of like, here's what things are. There needs to be some value add and some benefit that I can then use as a seller, as an AE, to then share with people that are also already in funnel of like, hey, by the way, you know, we just came out with this. Here's something that you can take away from it. I think there's a mutual ground there that you can be like at the top of the things, but also, but you also don't want to be like, oh, everything's about our product, but you know, just well, like I, I think, leadership. I mean, pieces. the real thing is everything is about your product, but that's not what your messaging should be. Your, your messaging needs to be, they have a problem. This is going to get solved. Oh, your product just solves it. Like not this yeah. is what your product's doing. Right. And I, I think that's a big disconnect at times is like everyone needs to be focusing on the challenges and the pains and the space and who, who gives a damn what the product does. Like, let's just talk about. Does it save me time? Does it save me money? Is people? it better? Like, yeah. Right. Exactly. Like, why should I care? Basically, you know, you were talking about like, uh, you know, the disconnect between sales and marketing being like. Look, marketing takes time. It's about nurturing these things until they're ready. And, you know, you're not going to do a webinar that's going to convert something the next day into a paid customer. Honestly, I, I wonder if, like, a big disconnect is, like, sales, you know, you know for, for the most part, everyone that I've met in sales has some form of ADHD, and we are all about instant gratification. <laughs> um, like, it just... You know, things like addiction and stuff like that, they run rampant in sales because we're like, oh, long-term issues? Who cares? Let's get the short-term benefit. I think, like, that's also a mindset that people sort of struggle with. And, you know, that leads into a whole different rabbit hole of, like, why are salespeople the way salespeople are? And it's like, oh, we, you know. Nature versus nurture. to benefit us right now. <laughs> exactly. I always say, well, I shouldn't always say this. And again, generalizing here, but salespeople, they have ADHD or ADD. And the marketing people, they have anxiety and depression. So we're on our SSRIs, you're on your Adderall, and we make one big happy mentally ill family. Rattle just released RevOps 2.0. So I'd love to just touch on a little bit about what Rattle's doing, how RevOps people are using it. And yeah, tell us about Rattle. I also love the dinosaur. I love the dinosaur as well. His name is Sir Dingalot. Um, I actually did just dress my dog, Chester. You can see Chester over here. I made him a handmade Sir Dingalot costume. And yeah, the reason why Sir Dingalot could never have been a dog was he was trying to chase the rocket on his back and going in circles. So, but no, Rattle, Rattle's exciting. We, we just released Rattle 2.0. So what people used to think about Rattle as is like notifications from Salesforce into Slack, but that's really nothing, you know, really what we're trying to solve for is a couple things. How can we equip RevOps 
to essentially have a seat at the table and be more strategic. Take away from their ad hoc requests for like hygiene and reporting and all of that stuff. Automate where they can and give them visibility into where gaps are. And so a couple key pieces that we just released. One is around process visualization. So you've got your sales process. Anyone's got their sales process. Maybe in like a, a Google spreadsheet that's in Google Drive and you've trained people on it. It's it's really nice. It's color-coded. It's fancy. It's, okay, what's the stage? What's the exit criteria of it? What do we need to make sure of? And you've put a lot of work into that. <sighs> Here's the news. Your AEs, after training, they haven't gone back and actually looked at that in quite some time. Or maybe they have. But how can we understand what your reps are doing in relation to that process and help you identify where gaps and bottlenecks are? And then the second piece is how can we make hygiene issues for reps be a thing of the past? So I, <laughs> I had an interesting conversation as we were, because we, you know, we use Rattle internally. We test these things out. And uh, on some hygiene-related pieces, I was chatting with our head of RevOps, Ryan, and I was like, I'm really annoyed. I got these two notifications, and I, I just, you know, to update things, and look, I haven't done it. And he's like, okay, I hear you. And he's like, so let me just ask you this. Just why, why don't you just do it? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. You know, like, I opened up Slack, and suddenly I had a million things to do. And then those things are things that aren't going to be moving deals forward. And I have other things that are moving deals forward. And, you know, it's just we go all over the place. And what was really interesting to hear from, like, some RevOps professionals is, like, they see themselves as an inbox zero, an inbox six or less to inbox zero type of people, meaning that, like, they see their email, they see their Slack as a to-do list. Do you want to see what... <laughs> Let me show you my home screen. Is that I'm not to... an inbox six or less person. First of all, I'm in the thousands sometimes <laughs> when it comes to emails. So here's how oh, it works, though. Oh, my God. You should be in sales. Well, here's how it works, though, in marketing. You're, you're in all these newsletters and then communities, and then you sign up for a trial or you go to this website, and your whole inbox is just promotions and promotions and promotions. Or it's people telling you, greetings of the day, can I have your meeting time? And, like, I just stop looking at emails, and that's kind of what happens. So, that was, that, so for, for the people who didn't see yeah. this video, there was, there was, like, 200 emails there. The text messages made me nervous, though. There was, oh. like, a few hundred unread text messages. Do you, don't, you don't talk to your family anymore? Here, here's what happens. Like, I'll get a message or something, and I'm like, if I... If I read this, the alert's going to go away. And, like, I know I can't I, – I see it. I check if it's important, but it's still an action item for me. And if the red part is there, I'm not going to remember to do it. And so, yes, I also see this as a list of to-do items, but you just don't, don't do them all. Because some of them are, you know, people being like, hey, what's up? And other people are like, hey, you know, can we do X, Y, and Z for – your niece's birthday and it's like ah oh, I don't have this information yet but I know I have to get back to them I don't know maybe we're just unorganized I don't, I don't know. maybe I'm just unorganized I'm pretty organized actually when it comes to my files my naming my processes and just when it comes to my inbox I'm like I know I don't need to open that email so I'm not going to and then two years later I'm just deleting <laughs> all these messages I have 
like, look, I'll shut out the noise. Like, I unsubscribe from everything. But I'll still, in a matter of, like, a week, be into the hundreds of unread things because it's, like, meeting acceptance, meeting declinations, stuff like that. And those, as a rep, are things that I, I might have to address, especially, like, declination. I don't know. There's just a lot going on. And there's a lot of different channels. There's, you know, texting, there's emailing, there's phone calls, there's Slack. And so if something isn't moving a deal forward, I need a little bit of a nudge and a help and, you know, an easy way to fix it because there are other things that get my attention that are going to impact me. So one one thing I know about you is that you are a, a huge Elvis Presley fan. I want to talk to you. Actually, so... First, I want you to just know, if you didn't see it, that some breaking news, Barry Manilow has just overtaken Elvis for the most shows in, in Vegas. I don't like that. You don't like don't Barry like Manilow all, in general? But, or? Um, I mean, just, you know, I like Elvis being at the top. But innovation, you know, I guess. Been, it's been since 1977. No one broke it since. So let's, I guess. Give credit where credit's due, I guess. Mm -hmm. I don't really know anything about Barry Manilow, to be honest. Copacabana is all you need to know. know, Would Elvis be proud? Um, Hard to say. I only knew him for a little bit in college. Um, I I don't know what he would say here. Um, So what did you think about the the movie, though, with Elvis, actually? The, the, The film, I should say. So I haven't seen it. Ooh. But I did meet Austin Butler at least Marie Presley's funeral. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Burying the lead your job, here. Elvis's only daughter only dies once. And mm-hmm. so, you know, when the stars align and you get laid off from your job and Elvis's only daughter dies, you got to take a flight to Memphis and go to the funeral, right? Uh, were you invited or were you crashing? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was sort of open to the public. I had to get in line at like three o'clock in the morning. It was was fun. I'm proud of Austin Butler from his Zoe 101 all the way to the Oscars. You remember him from Zoe 101? Look, he would not have been my first. I do. I do. He would not have been my first choice, though, for Elvis. Who would Um, have been? I recently, oh, uh, Cody Slaughter or Kayvon Hashimian. Both of those are great options. I don't know either one of them. I'll send you links. They're great. Uh, I'm gonna get okay. I'm gonna get canceled for this, maybe. But I thought Tom Hanks was awful in that movie, and he just took me completely out of it. I totally agree. He was wearing like yeah, like totally the most agree. ridiculous he fat suit and prosthetics, and he made up his own accent. Yeah, the accent felt a little bit racist. I don't know. Like I thought you haven't seen the movie. Such a character of a character. Uh, I've seen clips. Okay, so I I bring Elvis up because. Elvis was obviously known for his legendary concerts. If you could host an Elvis-style sales event or presentation, what would it look like? How would you make this unforgettable for your audience or prospects? Oh, my God. I've never been asked this. Let me say that Elvis is how I actually got into sales. Hear me out. I was an English major and a bartender. Thought I was going to bartend, you know, the rest of my life. And... I worked at this place where I was like, hey, I want to do like an Elvis-themed cocktail night. And I had like really fun things like Jailhouse on the Rocks, uh, Suspicious Lines instead of Suspicious Lines. You know, it was fun. 
local news got a hold of it in Pittsburgh and they made this video about it and I sent it to Graceland because I just wanted to be on Graceland's website and you can still find it today. And so when I was interviewing for ADP, my first sales role, I remember them being like, why are you even here? Like you've got no sales experience. Like you've you're in English, like, what What have you done? And I'm like, and I remember them saying, like, look, I was like, I, you know, I, I sell to people, you know, I'm a bartender, I, I've done serving, you know, it's all about their experience. And they're like, yeah, but they like come to you. And I was like, no, 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 I've done stuff to get other people in the door. Look at this Elvis thing. And they're like, oh, this is really cool. So I like to think that uh, my Elvis obsession got me on the path to sales. That is amazing. But man, to answer your question, I have to think about that. And that gives me something to think about for my future demos, too. I just, like, have some starting music. If I did it Elvis style, you know, I would, they would come on the Zoom and I would be two hours late. So that can't work. Maybe there are yeah. aspects of this. Though. That's true. Wait, that's only at a certain point in Elvis's career, though. I didn't say you were, like, leading uh, your Elvis. Yeah, you're right. Early Elvis, I don't think that translates well in B2B SaaS. I'd just be, like, shaking and wiggling and stuff. Mm-hmm. And what? I don't I don't know. It's not the <laughs> kind of sell that I'm trying to do. It is now time for our next segment, Spill the Tea with Lee. This is the segment where we spill the tea on all things B2B. That's right. This is the sassiest podcast for B2B, and it's going to get juicy. So, Sam, we already talked about this. We uh, we used to work together. Tell me your most memorable story about yours truly or your first impression of me. Ooh, so let me tell you my most memorable, but, I mean, it, it speaks to your – just who you are as a person, and I love it. So we were at a company offsite, and this was in Phoenix. We were doing this like team building event, which yeah, it it was oh, basically no. like <laughs> these escape rooms, um, but they were actually like very physically involved. All these challenges, and well, our team was not doing well. We broke up into like you know random groups, and so we had a few people from like engineering on our team, and then there's me and Lee. And after a few sessions, you're like, I'm going to the bathroom. And then we start doing some like rooms and rounds without you. And you're still not back. And I'm like, where are you? And you're like, I went across the street to Alta. I'm I'm over it. (laughs) That was so true. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It was, first of all, it was like. We never won any of them, by the way. It was literally an escape room, which is awful in, in general. But then it's like it's like gym class plus an escape room. And like this is not what I was was, was I was he- no. sore. I wasn't because yeah, I went I was to Ulta. Sore the next day. And well, yeah, there you go. And it was like an hour away from like where we were staying. It was just all this big ordeal. And you know, I respect you. I was like, uh, I wanted to be over it. <laughs> but I didn't. Well, yeah. Um, already committed. <laughs> well, I, I quickly realized that this wasn't for me, so I decided to, to not do it. Well, guess what? You didn't miss out on anything because our team won zero of the challenges. And I 
think you're the only person that I've kept in touch with from that small team in terms of like bonding with people. So I don't remember who was on that team. That's a little time I spent there. I need to make an Alta trip right now. Had I done it then, I wouldn't need to go to Alta right now. And now I just have, you know, chores to do tomorrow. So mm -hmm. I, I, maybe you were, I think you were right. Let's dive into some industry gossip. Have you ever encountered a sales tactic or strategy that just felt weird or bizarre to you? Oh, yeah, for sure. I, I talked about this earlier. It's all about like coming in with a perspective. And I really hate when people don't do that. It's so cringy. So like, say your company just raised a round. You're like, give me that money. I see you got money. Give me that money. No, don't, don't, don't do that. Why, why would they talk to you? The only people that are going to talk to you are ones that are just like waiting around doing nothing all day and just waiting for meetings. And guess what? Those people have no authority to buy anything. But instead, understanding, you know, in the press release, like what is this funding going towards? Like what are they focusing on? Can you help with that? then maybe reach out. Maybe not right away. Let the dust settle. But honestly, just people going for the meeting and not being a person and not solving an actual pain. I, I can't, I can't, I can't stand it. Yeah. I, I think that's just, just a big part of, of everything in, in general that you, you kind of deal with, except for Elvis, who's still alive yeah. somewhere, probably. Do you actually think he's still alive or not? Nah? I used to believe that until until like fifth grade. I had everyone at Shenango Elementary School convinced. You know, I had, I had evidence. But like, you'll see that same tactic too. Like when things are obviously automated as well is another cringeworthy thing. And like, I saw it with recruiting efforts. I see it all the time with recruiting efforts. People will be like, Sam, I'm so impressed with your experience from your time at Pavilion. And like Pavilion is a sales community. I don't do anything there. I, why, like, this isn't. <laughs> it's the personalization tokens, people. Yep, yep, so. Very similar to that is, not that I would know, because I'm unemployed, but whenever sure. you. not for whenever, long. Well, it's You're been a market. long time, well, I don't know. Um, but, like, whenever you start a new job, like, people will just bomb your email and LinkedIn, being like, hey, I just saw you, you got this new job, would love to get a demo, which, like, the last thing I or anyone wants to do when they get a new job is, is, put on a big ass software bill like wait at least a month or so until they're in there like just congratulate me and then then move on don't don't try to sell me like or anybody the second they get a new job and a couple things like one i think people do it because it, it's potentially easy to get a meeting within like the first month of like hey you're gonna be touching these things like let's do what we do but guess what? That meeting's not going to go anywhere. That person just got into the company. Like, they don't know how to buy. Like, they're still getting situated. Instead, find someone that's been there for a while, recently got promoted. Like, I bet there's some initiatives tied to their promotion, and they already have the inner workings. That's a way better move. Like, easy meeting does not equal closed deal. Easy meeting is actually a really bad sign. Like, I remember this from my time at ADP. We had this product called Total Source. And not everyone qualified for it. It's basically like a professional employer organization. So, like, you're, you have to be very specific in terms of, like, what the company does because workers comp rates. You have to be specific in terms of, like, employees and ranges and age because of health insurance. It ties everything together. 
And so anytime someone would be like, yeah, that thing, I want that thing, I'd be like, no, that's weird. If you would have wanted that thing, we would have already reached out to you about that thing. Because you want to take a meeting, that's a red flag. Like, I feel like if there's not tension to get a meeting, maybe it's not a good deal. Like, <laughs> So what you're saying is you like people to play a little hard. You don't, you don't just want it to be a, an easy case. Honestly, yeah, right? Like, if they're just taking a follow-up, to take a follow-up, why? Play hard to like, get I, people. Chat, like, make sure that we've got a reason why. Like, Pad, you've been on so many sales calls, demos. Not only are you a salesperson, but you are a woman in sales, which can mm. often be, we, we're not going to talk. Well, we are going to talk about though, but can you talk about, I guess, a time that maybe tested your patience, whether it was on a sales call, a client call, maybe an internal call? Oh my God. Yeah. It's like being a woman in sales. Um, I've got several examples. So, you know, there's like funny ones, right? Where like, we'll communicate through email and then I jump on a call and they're like, oh, I was expecting a guy. And it's like, ah, oh, yeah, it's fine. Because I go by Sam. That way when I apply for jobs, the salary that they offer me is 30% higher than what it would normally be. Of course, right? of course. Um, it, one time it was funny. I was chatting with someone named Ryan. They jump on. They're like, oh, I was expecting a, a, a man. Well, Ryan was a girl. And I was like, I was also expecting. <laughs> so. Um, I've had people been... think Lee. I've had people think Lee is, is, is oh. a woman. Maybe that's why I'm not getting hired. Oh, yeah. That could be it. Yeah. Get a more masculine name. I'll just go to Leo. Because like that's what I'm named after. Like, Leo was who was, I was named after. So maybe I'll just be Leo. Yeah, try it. Do some A-B testing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Apply to the same job, both of them. But Hi, guys. Yeah. I'm not a woman. I am gay, though. Sorry. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, like, people need diversity hires. I was the diversity hire at a company. First woman out of 40 people. That was fun. Got my own bathroom. It was fun. <laughs> there have been times that have been very frustrating, though, where, like, I will have, say, a sales leader who's a man on a call with me, and I have a hard time taking control of the conversation because they direct their questions specifically towards the leader. And maybe it's because they're a leader as opposed to, like, a man, and that's a whole different thing. Oh, women leaders, you know? Um, But what can be difficult is, like, the sheer... I guess, like, volume of my voice. I've gotten into this bad habit of just, like, railroading over people to get my point across, to, like, take back control of the conversation of, like, so I know we you've got five minutes left. Like, <laughs> you've gotten to the habit of talking like you're, you're a man. Okay. Oh, yeah. Yeah, okay. exactly. So I'm learning with different company cultures. I don't always have to do that. And it's, it's sort of interesting. Um, I never... Really, like, ADP is where I started my career. Like, huge company. Diversity wasn't really an issue. They used to have this, like, women in sales group. And I was like, ah, why do they need that? That's dumb. And then I found (laughs) out why they needed that. And so, um, stuff like that, like, plays a key role. They do exist. They do. If you find yourself having to, like, I don't know, resort to some of those things and some of those, like, bad habits, one, that's a bad thing. But a good company will notice I think that you're doing it and be like, you don't have to do that, by the way, and give you a seat at the table already. Well, one thing I do want to touch on, too, is 
you are a, a stand-up comedian, which, if that wasn't clear by now, it should have been, but you're, you're, very, you're a very funny stand-up comedian. How do you bring your, your sales career into your, your comedy routines? Oh, it's definitely given me material for sure. Being able, I, I think the two relate very well. I think like knowing your audience, speaking to your audience, and being able to like go up on stage in front of people, knowing that, you know, 95% of the times you're going to bomb. I wonder if that's a pretty bad conversion rate. Conversion rates in stand-up aren't very good. They, they might be better in, in B2B. But and the ROI is terrible. Ooh, yeah, ROI is horrible. A lot of what I've done with that is around being a woman in sales, being a diversity hire. Honestly, not a lot of it makes it into the comedy space. There are some things I've dabbled with. Here's a bad joke. You know, startups like they're like, ah, oh, we're just building the plane as we fly it. And I'm like, ah, oh, I should never have worked for this startup airline. <laughs> stupid. It's so stupid. Um, but... The other thing is, too, like, so many people, like, we live in our own little bubble on LinkedIn where we think everybody knows all of our little acronyms and sales stuff and cares as much as we do. And it's cute. But, like, that's not the real world. Everyone's just just doing their own thing. It's really not. And, yeah, there's, like, this little bubble of, like, B2B SaaS people that, like, think things are funny. Whereas, like, (laughs) I don't know, like, there's this Steve Martin joke. He's like, uh... You know, I normally don't do special material for my audience, but I hear there's a plumber convention in town. And so I've got a special joke for you guys. And it, he, like, goes on this whole thing. And no one laughs because it's, like, way too specific. And he's like, was that convention tonight or tomorrow? Um, and I feel like if I bring jokes and persona that I have in LinkedIn to my stand-up, I wouldn't, I wouldn't get a laugh. It's like doing a stand-up set about Elvis in San Francisco fell flat. I mean, like, it would have killed. <laughs> it would have killed in Reno. In San mm-hmm. Francisco, they don't know who Elvis is. So, uh, Elvis Costello, right? They also don't know who he is. They're like, okay. I've never heard this name. It doesn't work. So, what about vice versa? How do you bring your, your comedy or incorporate comedy into your sales game? This one... There's got to be a little bit of a delicate balance. <laughs> can't, you can't do it too early. There's a fine line between like cringe and like uniqueness too. Right, right. Some of the cheesy stuff, if we've got enough rapport, I can bring it in. I'll give you an example. I, I was working with this company, selling them, you know, the product I was offering and had several conversations, like maybe two conversations a week for the course of like three weeks and they were in Australia and we're delivering like the proposal and talking through a business case and I'm like let's talk about timeline like ideally like when do you want to roll this out like when like when do you want to sign by you know I don't know some question like that and they were like honestly we needed this yesterday and I was like great news you guys are in Australia where it's tomorrow (laughs) I'm in San Francisco at the time where it is yesterday, so we can make that happen. And that was one of the, I'm going to be chasing that high for the rest of my life. I'll tell you. I'll tell you. Did they appreciate Um, it? Did they laugh? Oh, they loved it. It was great. It was great. Other times, like, I like to have a, here's a tactic I'll use to see, like, if we have a similar sense of humor. So, like, 
my demo environment, I would have characters from, say, like, Arrested Development. Like, people know mm-hmm. about it, but, like, it takes a special person. I would just have the characters named after that. Michael Blue. Not, like, The Office. Like, yeah. you know, a random Joe Schmo. Anytime someone recognized, like, where that was from and we could make a joke about it, I knew we had a special relationship and we could... So I'll, I'll throw little testers out, maybe around my environment. I just moved into this place, so I don't have anything around me right now. But, like, putting some things in the background... Seeing if people catch on can help uh, give an idea of how far you can go joke-wise. So, like, you've got Squidward, bold and brash. More like belongs in the trash. That was the first thing that I said as soon as we jumped on. Bold and brash is a work of art. Um, I know. Squidward should be in museums. So, like, that's a great piece that, like, man, I've got a little bit about your sense of humor now and, like, things we can talk about, like... I still don't understand what you mean by sense of humor. This is a very serious painting. Oh, no. By, by an I, esteemed I, right, artist. Right, right. Um, but, yeah, stuff like that helps a lot in sales. Last question for you, maybe. Um, last question. So sales can be a, a high-stress gig. What is your go-to ways of de-stressing after a long day of will they, won't they sales calls sales team talking about quota how do you unwind after a long day of sales alcohol (laughs) seriously so whiskey right yeah whiskey when the day is done and it's really hard to like shut off from sales because like especially now that companies are largely remote especially in in the sales role you know, there could be someone in Israel or, like, the UK that I'm trying to, like, work with. And while I might not be on and working at my computer starting at, like, 5 a.m., I'm keeping an eye out for things going on and waiting for them and acting on it. So, one, it is very hard to actually turn it off. And it is something that I struggle with because you don't want to, like, have things slip through the cracks. Do you find yourself selling to people in your life about things that, that, like, do you just sell a movie or, like, dinner choices? Like, how do you, do you just sell all the time? Mm, If I'm passionate about something, yes. Which is why I also cannot sell a product that I'm not passionate about. The last couple roles, you know, you and I worked together at a company where, like, I was the end user and I friggin' loved the product. And I was so, I was like, oh, man. And I'm like that right now with Rattle. Like, I love it, and I'm so amped, and, like, that's how I can sell it. Whereas, like, roles before that, I sold things that, like, eh, I get the benefit, but, like, it doesn't personally impact me. So, like, I think that's why I love selling in this space. Like, I get the benefit for me, you know, go back to, like, what's in it for me for sales? So if there is something I'm excited about, oh, I'll sell it. There was this uh, curling iron on Facebook. was getting Facebook ads for it, like, 10 years ago. Guess what? I've... I've done so much in revenue for them, just, like, being like, oh, you got to get this. And, like, even buying it for people, like, I'm like, ah, it's the best curling iron ever. Like The real money is becoming, like, an Amazon influencer where you just write reviews. And then eventually people, not that I know this because I don't do anything like that. Um, Right, you're unemployed. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Yeah. Something like that, you know? Sam, seeing your face made me made me so happy. I'm so glad to to talk to you. I know you're on LinkedIn. Rattle is amazing. RevOps 2.0 is super exciting. 
everybody check them out. Uh, do you have any stand-up shows coming up in, in San Francisco or the Bay Area? Oh, so I actually moved to Pittsburgh. Oh, you're, oh shit, you're in Pittsburgh. Yeah, well, we Same question, though. So do you have any, do you have any stand-up <laughs> shows coming up in the Bay Area or San Francisco? <laughs> no, I don't. Um, but you guys will be the, the first to know. Actually, you won't. You'll be the last. Like, yeah, LinkedIn about, community is going to be the last to know about my stand-up shows. But do you have any shows in Pittsburgh, then? I don't. I just got here, and I need to figure out the situation and the scene and get back into things. I bought a house while I was still wow, in San Francisco. nice. Like, I didn't even see it in person, and now I, uh, I live in Pittsburgh in a house that I bought. Welcome to my coast. Welcome to your coast. Yeah, so you're like a seven-hour drive. Yeah, that's it. That's it. That's it. I did the 36-hour drive from San Francisco to Pittsburgh. This is my fourth time doing it. In 29 hours. That's how over it I was. It's because you work in sales. Mm, could be. Could be. Yeah. You have the you have the drive. Every time I see that like ETA, I'm like, that's a challenge. No. So gonna... no show is in Pittsburgh then? No, I have to figure out my life here. Alright, so I'm gonna I'm gonna redo this part. So Okay, cool. So Sam, it was so good seeing your face. Seeing your face made me so happy. Um, we're definitely going to keep talking, but for, for this episode, for this podcast, if people are interested in Rattle, definitely go check that out. Definitely reach out to Sam, who's on LinkedIn, and it will definitely show you why she loves that software. Yeah. Sam, so definitely everyone should check out Rattle. Where else can people contact you besides your LinkedIn? So look, I, I do have some other social media profiles, but if I'm being honest, the one that I'm most active on is my dog's Instagram at Chester Nugget underscore is where you can find me and get in touch with me. I might respond as my dog and, you know, the voice that I've made for him, but sure far away to get in front of me. What's Chester's brand voice? Oh, hi guys. Hi, I'm here. This is what I'm doing. This is what we're doing. This is great. Let's go. Sounds a lot like every other dog. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So he's just excited. He's amped about everything. All right. Well, everybody can send Sam dog treats if they want or book demos for Rattle. Only if you can actually use it. Don't waste Sam's time. Oh, yeah. Don't waste my time. Yeah, yeah. Or just, like, connect with me and send me photos of your dog. Like, let's just bond about dogs or whatever. Or I'll tell you a sales joke. I don't have very many sales jokes. I'll I'll tell you bad jokes. I, I can tell you a bad sales joke right now. By the way, wait, another impression I had of you. Um, I get on the company website for that the company it. that we both yeah. worked for. And the bot came up and it was like, do you want to hear a sales joke? And I was like, hell yeah, I do. And then I put in the thing, this is me, I'm doing this, but I, I couldn't resist. And so, yeah, I, I made you tell me a sales joke. And I loved that. I actually shared that. We recently rolled out Qualified. And so, like, our BDRs are, like, chatting with people on the website. And I'm mm-hmm. like, dude, tell, tell them sales jokes. Tell them sales jokes. It, it works. works. It people want to hear it. <laughs> Do you remember what the joke was? Because it was going to be the one I was about to tell. I don't. I guess it wasn't memorable. But go ahead. All right. So here's the joke, everybody. Why did the salesperson stop selling Velcro? Why? He couldn't stick to it. Mmm. Classic. Yeah, don't ask me as a bot, do I want to see a demo? Maybe, maybe not. Ask me if I want to hear a joke. Hell yeah. I was never a bot either. I was a real person on the site being like, oh, please, yeah, yeah, yeah. please get our product. I'm a marketing person, but I'm also nice. Yeah, and I'm sorry. I think I got your hopes up because you're like, ah, someone's asking questions. Nope, just me. want to hear the joke. Every time. So yeah. 
my hopes would get up to any time we would get a chat or a demo, but it just turned out the person was trying to sell to me, um, mm. which is a no-go. The, the fastest way to, to make sure I'll never do business with, with your company is, is to live chat me acting like mm. you're a prospect and then trying to sell to me. That's a whole other thing, by the way, in like the B2B SaaS space that like I think fortunately is going away is like deal for deals, by the way. Like, oh, deal for deals. Uh, God. That's another great that, question to ask on interviews, but let's actually explain what deals for deals are. And they're what they sound like, but. So basically it's like, hey, you sell software that does this. You, your company could benefit from this. My company sells software that does this. Your company could benefit from this. Let's do 20K, 20K, deal for deal. And then neither of us will ever implement this, but we've got a new logo. And so, you know, it brings people in, but that isn't. And then your CS teams will talk to each other and ghost each other for for a year or so. Yep, exactly. Or honestly, like you'll just accept that it's shelfware and like you won't (laughs) even try, which is Mm -hmm. even worse. Well, that that's fortunately, I believe, becoming a very, very, very much thing of the past. However, there are still some like lingering effects of like if you're interviewing at a company and they're like, ah, oh, we're early on, but we've got all of these logos. Mm-hmm. Ask them how many of them came from deal for deals. And if it's, oh God, I don't even know. I'd say like maybe 10% is fine. Anything over that, start asking some other questions. Like, I think another one I see a lot too is not necessarily deal for deal, but like somebody who worked at the company who's a customer now works for that company. Mm, and that's the only deals. way. Yeah, that's yeah. the only way. And so I would recommend at least for like AEs, BDRs, like understanding the customer success metrics of like, you know, how many people have gone live? Like out of all these customers, how many of them are live? How many of them are realizing the value that they were sold on? Sam, thank you so, so much. Um, We are going to talk so much. Follow Sam, follow Rattle, and tune in to the next episode of Lee2B. Bye.